Welcome to the Hidden Acres Podcast. Today, we're releasing all the messages from our Sportsman's Retreat chapels. Sportsman's Retreat was March 25th through the 28th, and it was a good time. It was a great time. You'll hear more about it in our April update that should be released next week. Stay tuned. This message is from session two of the traditional chapel and was preached on Saturday morning by Terry Baxter. Feel free to share these messages with people you think could benefit from them. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the Hidden Acres podcast. Please enjoy this message from Terry Baxter. Um, I realized for the first time I was not able to raise my hand for being here every year. Last year with COVID, I did not make it. So uh, kind of a different year, but uh, COVID has been tough. I don't know if you realize this, but it's tests the fa- fabric not only of our culture and society, but I think it's really tested the fabric of the church. And uh, forgive me for uh, indulging for a moment, but uh, I want to share a little story with you before we actually get started. Uh, about three months ago, I got a phone call from uh, my sister, my dad, 92 years old, kind of my hero. Uh, living in an independent care unit up in Cambridge, Minnesota, fell, doing really good, and he broke his back. Uh, one of the vertebrates in his back broke, and uh, it was my dad who um, years ago was in the Air Force, came out, wanted to be a crop duster, never followed through with getting his pilot's license, and uh, always told me, he said, Terry, if you ever get a chance, get your pilot's license. About 15 years ago, I got my ticket. I, I got my pilot's license, kind of neat, just to honor my dad, and got in about 80 hours of flying, and and I didn't have an airplane and whatnot, kind of set it aside and um, got this phone call. My dad was taken into a hospital in Minneapolis. And with COVID, one family member every 24 hours. And my dad is very social. If you had the chance to get to know my dad, he, he knew everybody in Cambridge. He was a bell ringer, you know, for Salvation Army. And he did all kinds of creative things. Uh, would write editorials for the newspaper. Everybody knew my dad. His name, they called him Max. And uh, my dad started slipping in the hospital because of a lack of contact with people. That's one of the ugly things about COVID, I, I personally believe, is it's inhumane the way we're treating people, especially our elderly and whatnot. And uh, it came to the place where it looked like he had about 24 hours left. And I have a sister that works in the medical field, a couple of, um, I'm going to call them foster sisters, I, maybe uh, adoptive sisters, not formally adopted, but they're part of the family. They worked in the medical field. Well, they kind of used their card to get in to see them. They, they kind of just walked behind the system. Then they said, oh, by the way, Terry, clergy can get in. So I pulled my clergy card, <laughs> I drove up to Minnesota, and Walked in, they looked at the nursing station. Well, he's already got a couple back there. Who are you? I said, I'm his pastor. <laughs> and they, well, who's this with you? That's my assistant. <laughs> that was my wife. So we walked in and got back there. And I tell you what, I, I've never seen, it, it was just tragic. He, they hadn't given him any water for five days. And all this guy, he could, his throat was almost clapped. He couldn't speak. He, he was almost gone. We stood around there. And it was really exciting. We put our heads together and said, we're going to bust him out of the hospital. He needed to be around family and friends. So, uh, and and I don't know if this is an official recipe. I'll share it with you. It worked for us. Uh, My sister got on the phone. She called home hospice, set it up to have home hospice, ordered an ambulance, came, loaded him in the ambulance, uh, took him up. I mean, we're talking about family, extended family, wanted to visit with him. 
the ambulance backed up to the door of her house. We had it set up inside. We had a hospital bed moved in and whatnot. There's about 40 people in there. He sat up, and I'll tell you what. For the next five days, my dad came to. He still couldn't talk real good. I'm going to say a couple hundred people came through that house to see him. And uh, they got him up out of a chair. Well, they put him in a chair. Then my brother went to get him up, and my dad leaned over and said, I'll never be able to be alone again, will I? My brother said, no, Dad, you won't. Put him in the bed, and he said, goodbye, son. He pulled his feet in his bed and passed away. Twelve hours later, had the most amazing funeral under COVID restrictions in Minnesota. It was packed out, big church. Got to preach my dad's funeral or part of it. Um, My dad was not a Christian most of his life. I became a Christian way before he did, and he was probably my greatest adversary and critic for a while. But when my dad used to ride motorcycles out to Sturges every year. I mean, if you see some redneck in me, it's in the genes. Let me tell you that. uh, It's in the genes. And uh, my sister was out at Sturges one year with him, and uh, he went to get some water at this place. This is a good place to get water, living water. And it was a Christian ministry handing out glasses of water. And uh, this gal handed my dad a glass of water and said, well, this will help your physical thirst. What about your spiritual thirst? Where are you at in your spiritual life? He said, well, I've got a son that's a pastor. He's an evangelist all over the world. That's nice, but what about you? Well, I've got a sister that's worked for, or a daughter that worked for Billy Graham for years. That's nice. What about you? And she zeroed my dad right down to where he broke down and started bawling, accepted Jesus. Never underestimate doing ministry in places like Sturgis. Uh, just, just really cool. Um, my dad became the greatest example of how to be a Christian without being religious. He reached out to everybody, shared Jesus. Uh, just very unique, very unique man. And uh, I, I share that story because um, we're dealing with these four stories that Jesus told. We're in the Gospel of Luke, for those of you who weren't here last night, and In Luke, there are four stories that just stand out that Jesus told, and we're going through those here this weekend. And uh, last night, of course, we looked at uh, the sower who sowed the word and the challenges that we go through in our life. Whenever God's word is sown, you know, we have to get past Satan himself, the birds devouring it. Then we have to get past the rocky soil, other people. And then when we get by the thorns that choke it out, that's getting past self. And then the more that comes, 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. And last night, we just challenged you guys. you got to work through it in your life with Jesus. But today, we come to a story that, to me, is probably not only the greatest story ever told, but it starts with the great, greatest question ever asked. And, you know, uh, this, this is the story of the Good Samaritan. It's only told in the Gospel of Luke. It's an amazing story. I've gone back to this story over and over again. I've been a Christian now for 48 years. And I think this story has possibly been one that I've ruminated on more than any other story in the Bible. It's just a profound story, and we're going to walk through it today. And it may be possible that I've preached on that before uh, here at this retreat, actually. Uh, it's one of those stories that's special. But let me just say, I've rolled it into the uh, uh, prayer closet, you know, go through it again, and change the oil on it and add some new points and whatnot, but uh, we're going to look at this story today. I just want to read it in its entirety, and then uh, we're going to open in prayer, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to look at this, and I I do want to say, you are in this story. 
I'm in this story. Someplace you're going to be in this story today. Mark my word, you're going to be in this story. And your view of salvation, Christianity, or stand back being agnostic and want nothing to do with God, you're in this story. Everybody's in this story. Let's look at it and then we'll pray. It actually starts way back in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse number 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test. By the way, lawyers are good at that. There are more lawyers down at the Capitol than flies on a dead carcass. <laughs> Danny Carroll's here. There are lawyers everywhere. There's, there are lawyers everywhere. I, I mean, and, and we, we need them. I, I, I found a few good ones. I really have. And um, searching, but I did find a few, okay? Uh, put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What an amazing question. An attorney standing up on behalf of humanity asking that question, what do I need to be saved? Yeah, everybody struggles with that question. The answer is quite surprising at first. And he said to them, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Oh, there's a lot of people with excuses today, aren't there? The greatest question ever asked leads to the greatest story ever told. And Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan was on a journey, came upon him, and saw him and felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds and poured oil and wine on them and put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whenever more I return, whatever more that you spend, I'm going to repay you. Which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed mercy, he said to him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray this morning, as we've cracked open your word, and Lord, we like to anchor every message in the solid word of God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and open our eyes to behold some wondrous things in your word. Lord, I just pray that the, the, the thoughts of my mind, the meditation of my heart this morning would be acceptable in your sight. And Lord, I pray that you would move among us with your spirit in great ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The greatest question ever asked. You know, all people ask that question. There are three universal questions. I've had the privilege of traveling to many countries around the world, working in a lot of different cultures, civilized and remote. 
I'm not going to say uncivilized because even remote places have some rather civilized people. But the three questions that people struggle with, and you can even go back in history. Where did we come from? Number two, what are we here for? But number three, where do we go from here? What happens after death? Those are good questions. You know, even in our current culture and society today, as secular as it might be, when you reel people down and you spend time with them, they're, they're struggling with these issues. Deep down inside, God has placed a, a void in everyone he's created that's in the shape of God, and people are trying to fill it with all kinds of stuff, but only God fills it. You've got to get over the target. So this attorney, who is Jewish, and this is a Jewish context, he's speaking to Jewish people, he comes up and he asks Jesus a question, and I, I would suggest to you that the law he's talking about was not the Iowa law code. <laughs> How big is it, Danny? Yeah, it's it big. People say, have you read this whole thing? I said, no. <laughs> it was Old Testament law. He was looking at Moses and said, what, what do we have to do to inherit, inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus asked him, and he gives an answer, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, with all your strength, your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this. But he had a problem. Because he didn't really love people. He had an issue and said, and, and who's my neighbor? So Jesus, in response to the greatest question ever asked, tells the greatest story ever told. And I personally believe that in all the scriptures, this is the greatest story Jesus ever told. And what he does with this story is absolutely profound. I believe each one of these characters represent different people. Well, first of all, let's, let's look at the, the main character in the story was probably the victimized traveler. He was going down to Jerusalem, and <laughs> wouldn't you know, he fell among some robbers. Had the worst day you could imagine. They beat him. They stripped him. They left him half naked and nearly dead along the side of the road. Have you ever had a, a rough time with life? Have you been to the point where life hasn't done you too well? There's a lot of people that are pretty beat up today. As I spend time with people and travel in a lot of different circles, wear a lot of different hats, I'm discovering that for most people, life is pretty tough today. They're like the victimized traveler. It's almost like they're laying alongside of the road beat up and they're asking for the first time some pretty crucial questions. Well, then different people come along. And, and, and each group of people or person had a different view of that question. How do you see people? How do you treat your neighbor? Well, the first ones we have to look at happens to be the robbers. What did they see in this traveler going down the road? Well, they saw a victim to exploit. There are so many people today who look at others as an opportunity to exploit. Someone to take from, someone to use, to steal from. By the way, one of the reasons why I'm absolutely appalled at human trafficking is it's the worst manifestation of human nature to exploit other people. And, and I'm not going to get into politics. I'm going to avoid my thought that I just had. I'm not going to go there. A lot of bad things happening at the border right now. Okay, I'll just say that. A victim to exploit. 
other people exist for you to get stuff from. Well, here's this victimized traveler. He's half dead. He's beat up. He's kicked. He's got wounds like crazy. And I can imagine. Now, I, I, okay, I, I, I'm speculating, okay? It doesn't say it in the text. I'm speculating. Grant me a little latitude. I can imagine he's laying there and he's probably praying and his prayer is something like, God, if you're real, help. There are so many people who are going through deep, trials and struggles they might be going through cancer facing diabetes going through difficult times a loss of a job marriage falls apart maybe addicted and they come to that point at the bottom where they're 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 laying in the dust and maybe for the first time they're asking the question god if you're real please help i can't do anything for myself in this place and once you know, he, he whispers a prayer and God answers his prayer immediately. He looks up and someone's coming. He dusts his eyes off, making sure it's not the robbers coming back. And once you know, his prayer is answered. Here comes a priest, a religious leader. I can just imagine he's Jewish. He says, oh, man, God, I'm amazed at how quickly you answered my prayer. But to his dismay, the priest gets close And he crosses way over to the other side of the road, doesn't take much more than a glance, and just continues on his way and leaves him. That must have been a heartbreak. Can you imagine? Well, he prays again, and I don't know how many minutes later, maybe half an hour, lo and behold, here comes a Levite. The Levites were the ones responsible for the care of the temple. They were the, I'll say it this way, they're the temple janitors. And they'd be picked to go from whatever village they lived in to Jerusalem, and they would serve for a period of time there, and they had to get there on time, they had to go do their work, and they're busy, they're doing their thing for God. And all of a sudden he he looks up and he sees this Levite coming along, and again, oh, wow, God, thank you. And the Levite passed by on the other side. That's kind of a dumber, double bummer, you know what I mean? The priests, the Levite, the religious folk, the ones that you'd think would care the most. Uh, something about Judaism was broken. Now, I don't want to meddle too far. I've been known to do it. If the shoe fits, wear it and take it home and share it. The church is broken today. Christianity is very broken today. Because all around us are a lot of victimized travelers that are crying out to God and we're just kind of passing by on the other side. Now there might be reasons for that and we'll get to it. And suddenly he looks up and of all people, here comes a Levite. Now who were the Levites? They were the descendants of the Jews that intermarried with the Samaritans and they ended up kind of being half-breeds and Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans because they were just like untouchables. God sometimes answers prayers in very unusual ways. The Levite had some resources. He had his own mule. He was driving a Buick, I guess. I don't know. And the scripture is amazing. The Levite came to him 
And, and the text says that the first thing is he saw him. I like that. He felt compassion. He came to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on them. He put him on his own beast. He brought him to the inn. He took care of him all night. He stayed up and let the guy sleep in his bed. The next day he pulled out some money and said, hey, innkeeper, take care of him. If the, if the bill comes tomorrow and I'm paying right now, when I come back, uh, I'll square it out with you. So the Samaritan leaves, the innkeeper's left. I don't know how long he stayed there. It might have been a few days, could have been a week. But the Samaritan's in the story. Um, what did the Samaritan see? Well, the Samaritan saw uh, basically a neighbor in need. You know, think about it. Each one of them. Robbers saw a victim to exploit. What can I get? The priest saw a defilement to avoid. How will this affect me? The Levite saw a distraction to bypass. How does this fit into my schedule? The innkeeper saw a customer to serve. <laughs> Can he pay his bill? Those sound familiar? A lot of us today play into that. So meanwhile, let's find out what ministry effectiveness is. And I can do this pretty good because now that I've got face and knee surgery again, let's imagine that six months later, the victimized traveler has gone through rehab. He's in Jerusalem, and he's struggling with this question, what's the purpose of life? Struggling with this question, how do I know that I can inherit eternal life? And he's searching for answers. There are a lot of people who have gone through a deep crisis in life, and they spend some serious time searching for answers. And he's in Jerusalem, he looks up, and here comes that priest that walked by him. What do you think the victimized traveler is going to do? I'll tell you what he's going to do. He's going to cross to the other side of the road and avoid him because that guy doesn't have any answers for him. Meanwhile, here comes the Levite. Same thing. He, he's going to stand back and avoid him. But could you imagine of all people, here comes that Samaritan riding through Jerusalem and all the Jewish people avoiding him like a snowplow cutting through a blizzard. But he's walking by this guy, and for the first time since his incident, he sees the Samaritan. What does he do? Let me tell you what he does. Hey, hey, wait, wait, stop. Hey, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you. Why did you care for me? What's so different about you? Did you notice in the Bible that when Jesus talked about ministry, it's always highly relational? It's not trying to reach people at the end of a 10-foot pole. It's not saying, hey, you meet my expectations. I'll care for you. Don't. I'm moving on. This Samaritan had an impact on his life. Now, I've got to say that the Samaritan is probably a picture of Jesus. He saw the need. Are you seeing the need today? I, I'm in a place in the legislature where I see needs that some people never get exposed to. I mean, we deal with it all the time. And that government doesn't have an answer for the needs today. I knew that going in. Probably I went in because 
government didn't have a need or, or, or an answer for the needs. He felt compassion. Do you care? Christian men, do you care today? COVID is tough, but it's the greatest ministry opportunity the church has been handed for decades. Do you care? Oh, this new generation of young people, oh, they're different. Do you care? They're the easiest ever to reach if you just sit down and spend a few minutes talking. They'll connect and talk about anything. Do you care? He came to him. I love this part. He actually got off his beast, walked up right to him. I imagine he knelt down, rolled over, did the assessment. Now, now if you think about this, the Samaritan represented the kind of... uh, prize the robbers wanted he had a beast he had some wine he had oil he had money he had it going on he was all alone i don't think the samaritan looked around to see where the robbers was because he saw a man in need he just went over to take care of the guy in need he he healed up his wounds he He poured his oil and his wine on them. He put him on his beast. Took him to the inn, cared for him all night, paid his bill. He committed to the long term. Ministry is long term stuff today. This is amazing. But but, but, but wait a minute. Um, You say, okay, Terry, but you still haven't answered the question the lawyer asked. Um, I've discovered when dealing with lawyers, don't answer their questions right away. They might think they can nail you down. Just fish them along a little bit. So Jesus said, you do this and you shall have eternal life. Do what? So how do you answer that question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm going I'm to share something this morning. I, I struggled with this text for years. Man, and being an evangelist, I wanted to step out and say, here, accept Jesus as your Savior, get born again, and you're ready to go. And initially, I didn't find that in the text. But let's retrace our steps, because what Jesus is doing is absolutely incredible. What he is doing, he's using each character in the story to identify how different people answer that question. For example... How did the robbers view that question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, <laughs> I think they represented the beyond hope position. They saw themselves as beyond hope. I'm so bad, there's no hope for me. Who cares? I won't even try. They hid from the Samaritan. There are a lot of people hiding from Jesus today. There are a lot of people hiding from Jesus because they think, I'm so bad, I'm so rotten, I'm so filthy, God can never forgive me. I don't know how far away he passed from them. Maybe the Samaritan was pretty close, but they were so busy hiding, they couldn't find the solution. What about the priest? What was their view? (laughs) 
Oh, this was a self-righteous position. I'm so good, God will accept me. I, I'm speculating, but I postulate that maybe on that road from Jerusalem to Jericho, maybe the priest also passed the Samaritan, who is a picture of Jesus, by the way, in this text. He didn't need any help from the Samaritan. He was self-righteous. What about the Levite? What position did he represent? Oh, religious good works position. <laughs> I've got to beat it down in Jerusalem. I've got to do my works. I've got to keep my schedule. I can't be inconvenienced by this. I don't have time. So busy saving himself. You know, there are a lot of religious people out there so busy trying to save themselves that they're trying to isolate themselves from people that they think would just drag them down. I, I don't know. Maybe the Samaritan passed by the Levite. He was so focused on himself, he didn't even notice. But what about the innkeeper? Because the innkeeper is really interesting in the story. What theological position might have he represented? Now, this is an interesting one, because I, I think the innkeeper had the I'm a good person position. It, it's the idea of, I've been honest, I'm hardworking, I treat people right, I do my best to give a good service for a good price. I'm just a really good, decent person. I mean, if, if God were to base it on how good you are, I, I balance this out pretty good. I, I think I'm okay. <laughs> but guys, what about the victimized traveler? Now, I'm going to suggest to you that in this story, the Samaritan is a picture of Jesus. After all, he went all the way to the cross to pay our debt. Paid in full. All you have to do is accept my service. Do you know what he represents? He represents what I'm going to call the unconditional grace position. He was the only one in the story that came to the place where he couldn't save himself. He was totally dependent on someone to do for him what he couldn't do for himself. When the Samaritan came and offered help, he simply received. At some point in our life, we need to come to the place of recognizing that we're lost and we can't save ourselves. I can't go out and do good works. I've blown it. I've been so bad, there's no hope for me. Maybe my church and my religion and going through all the ceremonies won't save me. They haven't changed me from the inside out. Being a good person is not enough. I think what Jesus is doing in this story, he's saying you've got to come to this place of trusting Jesus with unconditional faith. And by the way, may I ask this question? Who was saved in the story? The only one saved was the victimized traveler. It wasn't the Samaritan. He was the Savior. He's the one showed up, offering him everything he needed to save him from his pending death.
I believe Jesus in a very masterful way is saying, you know, here's what you have to do to inherit eternal life. With no strings connected, with no demands, open yourself up and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I'm broken, I'm dying without you. I receive your grace. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your payment for my bill. You know the beautiful thing? That's when healing started in the life of the victimized traveler. As soon as he met the Samaritan, everything started changing. And, and I want to say this. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that overnight everything's going to be perfect. You will be forgiven immediately. Some of the healing takes time. Some people are really broken with their lifestyles and sin. But let me tell you what Jesus is going to do. He's going to see you. He's going to come to you. And genuine, sincere love and compassion. He's going to reach out to you. He's going to reach up and take the wine and the oil that's my picture of the Holy Spirit he's going to start his work in your life he's going to load you up and carry you for a while he might take you to the end of the hospital of life and start putting you together and he's going to say I'm going to commit to you for the long run Jesus came into my life when I wasn't too far away from the victimized traveler I was a 16-year-old teenager that had been really messed up, had a lot of academic problems, uh, flunked out of second grade, second year round, sent back to first grade, all kinds of name calling coming my way, rejection, self-image issues. Seventh grade, had a teacher in the public school open a class on witchcraft and the occult. I'd given up on the church for a number of reasons. I took that class, got into the dark side. It was pretty ugly what started happening to me came to the point just getting ready to go into 10th grade where there's a gal that moved to our school bought me a bible she was doing some missionary dating trying to save me that's always dangerous stuff it messed her up more than it helped me the only thing she did was buy me a bible I went home through that bible on the dresser didn't really look at it at all I could barely read but I came to the point stepped into 10th grade and the guidance counselor called me and said Terry with your academic record, we, we think we've got to send you back to ninth grade. <laughs> I looked at him and I started laughing. That's not going to happen. You don't understand. I'll quit. I don't need this stuff. There's nobody in that school that cares for me. My relationship with my parents was falling apart. I was a family rebel. My dad was old school. Um, his approach to discipline was pretty, pretty severe. had a friend that committed suicide two weeks before that school was wiped out I mean you know a crisis hits the school and cynical voice inside of me saying Terry you want to get even you want to get revenge on your parents and your classmates for calling all those names the teachers we were a hunting family so I had a 12 gauge shotgun in my bedroom pushed a dresser against the door loaded that 12 gauge and started cursing God blaming him for all my hurt, struggles, and pains. 
there's one word in the Bible, every time I read it, I look carefully, it says, but. <laughs> but God. I reached over to pick up that shotgun, and this Bible this girl had bought me was sitting on the dresser between me and the shotgun. And, and I reached down, I picked it up. I had been forced to go to Sunday school off and on, some of that stuff, and got picked on in church just like I did in school. I picked it up and I said, God, if you're real, show me. Kind of like the prayer that maybe the victimized traveler prayed. God, if you're real. I believe there's a lot of people today all around us praying, God, if you're real. If you're there. I could barely read. I flipped it open and I landed on 2 Corinthians 5.17. The first word I struggled with, therefore, it was pretty big. I couldn't read that good, so I just skipped it. But the rest of the words are, words are really small. If any man be in. You know those one and two letter words? Even a dummy like me could read those. In Christ. He is a new creature or person. Old things pass away. All things become new. Now, I, I, I want to share this. I mentioned last night that I'm attending an open Bible church right now. From the day I accepted Jesus, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, to me, is non-negotiable. I can't live the Christian life in the strength of my flesh without the enablement of the Holy Spirit and the help. At that moment, reading that verse, a battle started raging in my mind because I had a familiar spirit. I was screwed up. The demonic realm was real to me. And one voice was screaming to me saying, Terry, it's a lie. We'll give you whatever we want. Don't do it. And then this still small voice of the Holy Spirit, Terry, Jesus died for you. He loves you. You can become that new person just by giving your life to Christ. For the first time in a long time, I started crying. I've cried many times since then because now I'm pretty tenderized. I was pretty callous back then. I didn't know how to pray. I was all alone in the midst of probably a spiritual warfare for death for me. I, I still probably don't realize the full significance of what happened that night. I started crying, saying, God, if you can take this mess and turn me into anyone other than who I am, I give my life to you without reservation. I don't know if that's a good prayer to accept Jesus on, but it worked. It was my heart. And Jesus answered that prayer. But to be very honest, I was hospitalized in the inn <laughs> for several years as God had a lot of stuff to clean up and work through in my life. It wasn't just instantaneous, everything perfect. I went through a lot of persecution, a lot of put down, a lot of ridicule. <laughs> I, I walked through the sower that sowed. I had a lot of enemies. Satan didn't give up easy. Other people really turned on the heat, including some people in my family, and all I had was Jesus and a desire to know him, and I, I just started memorizing my way through this book. I, I couldn't read, so it had to be word by way, word, phrase by phrase. Just memorize, then I'd, I'd get a verse down, I could go back and read it, and then the next one, and spend hours every night in God's word doing that. 
funniest thing happened. God renewed my mind. I ended up graduating an honor student. God changed me. Jesus is so precious. Let me ask you a question. Where are you at in the story? Which character do you represent? Right now, look at your life. Some of you here are saying, Terry, <laughs> I'm down and out. I'm the victimized traveler. I've been beat up. I've been kicked. I'm, done. I, I'm just laying on the ground. I, I don't have any hope. I don't care if I live or die. There's a lot of people that are there right now today. That, that, I'm going to say something strange. That, that's a good place to come to Jesus. There's some of you here that, man, you've gone to church all your life. You got your Sunday school award from doing 50 years without missing it and so busy trying to save yourself that Jesus has passed you by a number of times and you haven't even noticed him. They tell you that's pretty tough to say. Let me say it in a little bit more blunt way. You're religious but lost. I'm meeting so many religious lost people today. Just like the priest, just like the Samaritan. And I want to say this. The hurt and broken people out there in the world, they're turning their back on churches full of those people faster than you can imagine. Got nothing to do with that kind of religion. You might be here today and say, Terry, you know, <laughs> I think I'm a little bit more like the robbers. I'm going through life cheating, stealing, taking advantage of people, running around. I'm so bad, there's no hope for me. I'm here this morning to share with you from this story that everybody is loved by Jesus. They come to him, open their life, say, oh, Jesus. Humble themselves. He'll run to you. Reach down, meet you at your point of need. You say, Lord, help. He'll be there for the long run. The Bible calls it being born again. And then when you're all patched up and ready to go out there, he's going to say, now go and do likewise. Go love, love some hurting people as your neighbors out there and share me with them. This is the second story that Jesus told in the Gospel of Luke. What a profound story to give his disciples who would be handed the baton to take the Gospel to the world. They needed this. I think the church today needs this story. I really think we do. If you're in this story saying, Terry, man, I, I've never seen myself this way before. I, would you be willing to reach out to Jesus this morning? Say, Lord, here I am. You know, there's no prayer in the Bible that tells us how to get saved. We have the doctrine of putting faith in Christ. So I'm going to say my prayer might be as good as any others. <laughs> Lord, if you can take this mess and change me, I give my life to you. That might work. I think, it, I think it's valid if that's your heart. 
It might be, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I know you love me and died on the cross for me. Come into my life. Be my Savior. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's your heart. Or you may be at the point where you've been a Christian for a while and <clears throat> you're really struggling and it's not working out too good. Maybe you can look at this and say, Lord, give me a fresh vision of what you want to do through my life. Help me become like you and reaching the people around me. There's something amazing that I've discovered about the Christian life. If you're not focusing on doing what God's called you to do, the distractions will get you. And you'll end up like we talked yesterday on one of those three kinds of soil and be totally sidetracked. But God has so much more. He's got 30, 60, and 100 fold that Jesus wants to do in you and through you. Wow. Maybe just maybe these two stories were the beginning of Jesus' discipleship program for his disciples. And guys, there's two more stories in the Gospel of Luke. We'll start looking at the third one tonight. Let's bow in prayer.